Hey sis! From coast to coast, we're bridging the gap between the cisgender and transgender community, creating meaningful dialogue and space to learn and grow. Join us as we connect with our community, break down tough conversations, and get comfortable being better humans. Hey sis, welcome to season three. It's so hard to believe we're on our 31st episode and we are thrilled to announce that Hey Sis is now proudly sponsored by TD Bank Group, helping us make community connections even more accessible with more episodes, guests, and amazing stories. So we all have a unique journey and the parents and caregivers of trans and gender expansive youth are no exception. Our journey is as unique as the children and youth in our community that we are supporting. And so there is no one way to be the quote unquote, the best parent or grandparent for any of us. But when we get it wrong, it can have severe impacts, not only on our family relationships, but it can also have long lasting impacts on the children who we love and want to support the most. Yeah, so Isaac, it's so good to be back here on season three. And um, I am excited to be having the conversation that we're having today because being a facilitator of support connections of parents and caregivers of gender expansive and trans children, I've shared and heard from many folks how challenging it can be to invite our own parents into the intimate sharing of knowledge around our child's transition. Uh, we often ask ourselves, or at least I did, um, you know, how do we do it? And do we do it all together as a family um, and share news with extended family members, with, you know, my own parents? Uh, from the transitioning child, depending on the age, maybe they want to take the helm, but maybe they don't and they're afraid to tell you. Do we do it on our own by a letter or an email? The journey is always unique and there are many factors at play, but one commonality exists through all of it. It can often be mired by exhaustive questions, misgendering confusion, and sometimes even a refusal to be a supportive grandparent, aunt, uncle. So Isaac and I decided it was time to explore how we can support grandparents embarking on their own journey around understanding gender identity and gender expression as it relates within their own families. In today's episode, we are celebrating International Grandparents Day, which is coming up on September 11th, with an episode that is dedicated to breaking down barriers, preventing grandparents from being a positive and loving component in their grandchild's transition. Maybe you're not a grandparent, and you're a close caregiver, an aunt, a nona, an uncle. Well, in this episode, we are joined by the amazing Chris Cochran. Chris is a trans black activist and public speaker. She speaks and educates about her lived experience through her intersectionality. Chris works towards creating spaces for QT BIPOC people, as well as working with 2SLGBTQIA plus youth to ensure those spaces will be upheld for years to come. Currently, she is the support service educator for the Youth Project in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Chris also sits as the vice chair of Halifax Pride, where she uses that platform to ensure equity for all of the community, while focusing on our marginalized and racialized communities. She's also known as her drag persona, El Noir, where she is as fierce on stage as she is in her activism. And the last but certainly not least for this episode, she is a grandmother. Welcome to the show, Chris. We are so happy to have you here on Hey Sis. 
You're a tough Hi, person. Hi. <laughs> oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, yes, I'm very busy. Um, everybody thinks uh, I am busy, but I'm even more busier than I even let on that I am. So. Well, I know we're, it's taken us into our third season to get you on the show, so we're super excited to have you here. Um, and kicking off uh, potentially the first episode of season three in September tied into International Grandparents Day. So you are a grandparent yourself. Can you tell us just a little bit about your relationship with your own grandchildren? So I have five grandkids. Um, Matt, uh, it starts with uh, Tara Lynn is the oldest, and then it goes Akira, Aliyah, and Amaya, and then Madison is our youngest one. Uh, two of them are sisters, and the other three are sisters. Um, Akira, Aliyah, and Amaya, the AAA sisters. Um, and then, so I have my husband is um, is the reason I have grandkids. So um, as a trans woman, uh, I never thought that I would be a grandparent or even a parent. Um, and now I'm all of those things. So I kind of inherited a family. Um, ironically enough though, there was only one grandchild when I started um, dating my husband back almost 10 years ago. Um, and since then we've blossomed to five now. So, um, and then two of them, um, the oldest one, which is uh, uh, Tara Lynn and the oldest one, youngest one, which is Madison, um, just moved back from Ontario with her mother. So they're staying with us for a month um, until they get their self-situated. So um, uh, Amy is, uh, is what they call me, Amy and Ampy, because um, I'm still too young to be called grandma. Uh, so Amy and Ampy is what they call us. And uh, they're great kids, uh, but as you know, sometimes it's a lot when there's five people in a house with two dogs and two children so yeah that definitely is. makes for a busy household mm -hmm. and uh perhaps can you maybe share a bit about your own experience kind of transitioning and what that relationship was like with maybe your family when you were growing up so I'm from Glace Bay. Um, so, you know, the only time we heard trans is when they were talking about transmissions, you know? I'm also a kid of the 80s. So we didn't have Google internet, we didn't have the internet. So if I wanted to look up something, it was called Dewey Decimal System. So you have to go to the library, you have to know what the word was, look up the word and then hopefully find the word before the librarian called them and said that your mom was, told your mom you were looking up dirty words or something like that. So I didn't really know anything. Um, even when I was younger, gay kids or gay, people were talked about as that you, your uncle's special, special friend or your aunt's roommate or anything like that. Um, so I didn't really know. Um, then when in my teen years, I started to kind of, you know, feel different than everybody else that was, you know, changing and things. I wanted to go more of the, the female route and I couldn't understand why I wasn't going that way. Um, and then when I joined the Navy um, in 2003 after graduating, um, I started having some problems. Um, mentally and then um, I went to rehab for about seven months um, in the Navy and when I was in therapy there is when I started to talk about my transition. Now when I decided to tell my family that I was transitioning my immediate family they already kind of knew um, you know they were like well finally you know um, except for they were a little afraid because of things might happen you know being ridiculed what the world is going to be like. Um, so for the most part, I was okay. Now, for my father's side of things, my father, who passed away a few years ago, um, he kind of disowned me. He said that his son died and he doesn't have, a, you know, an older child anymore. Um, and then I was kind of known as a special nephew um, on that side of the family. And then my grandmother, who is extremely Catholic, um, refused to even acknowledge that I was uh, a person. 
Um, luckily, um, I have a strong backbone and I have a very well chosen family here in Halifax that helped me to get to where I am now. So, well, I know we're, we're both strong believers that, you know, uh, family is what you make of it, not as, not as blood. So I'm, I'm very happy to hear that you have still have the connections here in, in Halifax to, to have that support system. And, uh, in turn as well, um, as a trans person with grandchildren how was that kind of conversation facilitator what did it even need to be a conversation that that you were trans that's the, thing. that's the thing it's not even a conversation that needed to happen um so i started my transition before i met my husband so my grandkids have never known me anything other than amy um my oldest one um knows about me being a uh you know that amy who amy was in the past and who she is now but kids don't really want to ask those questions, you know, um, sex and gender are two different things and people need to understand those uh, and uh, stop confusing the two of them. Also, you know, all they're caring about is, Amy, do you know how to cook still? Do you know how to make your cookies? And can you sew? Because I'm the grandmother that sews, I cook, I, you know, do makeup, I do all the everything. So that's all they really care about. Um, and you know, as she's getting older now, she's starting to ask more questions and I'm answering the questions, but you know, I don't need to get into like, you know, Amy had the surgery and everything else like that. And, um, and those type times will come when she gets older and asks, but just right now, just being myself, all they need to know is that Amy is here and Amy is going to do whatever the, that she can to make sure that their life is easier. I love that. And, you know, and at the end of the day, too, like really, when you think about grandparents or or Amies and Ampies, you know, they're really meant to be that sort of that that unconditional love figure when a parent might be like having to do bad cop, good cop and like, you know, maybe not in the best books with the young kids because of disciplining and whatnot. It's always the grandparents are, you know, unconditionally and loving no matter what, you know, mm -hmm. And so I'm just wondering with your own experience with um, like with your grandfather and then in your experience of supporting queer youth uh, now through the youth project and all the work that you do, would you have like some advice um, for parents and caregivers of trans and queer youth who have maybe a parent of their own who is unsupportive or acting unsupportively um, and not realizing the importance or significance say, of the, the language they're using? Well, this is the thing is that a parent's number one job is to make sure that their child is protected as much as they possibly can. Um, and I've had family members that, you know, are negative and some people are not going to change their minds. You know, a lot of people think that because we're, you know, acceptance is more now. Acceptance is exactly where it was years ago. The only difference is now is that we're a lot more out and open. People are going to accept you irregardless. The problem that I have is when people start to force ideals onto people and asking and telling people, well, this is how I was brought up, or this is my, you know, religion, or they use something other than that to make sure that other people are, you know, kind of following the line. The biggest thing is listening. As a parent, you need to listen. A lot of people want to help, and our, our biggest thing is to be a parent or a grandparent is to offer advice and to be like, hey, uh, I want to help. But you also just need to listen, because sometimes they'll just tell you. You know, if you're walked out, especially with teenagers, if you try to force anything out of them, you're going to get one of two answers. You're not going to get any answer whatsoever, or you're going to get a yelling match answer. So you just let it, letting them be themselves. And if you have somebody in your family that is disrespecting your child or doesn't want to respect your child's pronouns or doesn't want to respect your, well, then they're not respecting you and they don't really need to be in the life at that time. Because what is happening is that 
um, by saying, oh, well, that's just grandma. You know, that's the way grandma talks. You're allowing that child to believe that, guess what? There's going to be people out there in the world and you're just going to have to accept them for who they are. By allowing that to happen, you're going to allow the child to think that one, they're doing something wrong. Two, that they're not, that they are not going to be respected and they're not going to be able to uh, outlive that. And three, is the most important one is that you're allowing the child to think that anybody's allowed to disrespect them and not allowed to have their own life. So by allowing small family or local family to be that, you're um, setting them up for a kind of failure in the future. I know as a, as a family ourselves that have struggled with one particular parent, um, a grandparent who lives out of province, we've, you know, we've tried and retried, but, you know, the more harm that gets done, the scars get deeper and they don't go away that, you know, we've just had to, I always, I use the analogy of like, we're just drawing up the drawbridge right now and we're in our castle, we're in our space. And when you're okay to come back in, like when you're ready and we feel you're safe, I will put the drawbridge back down. But until then, I'm sorry, you know, and, but that's so hard to do for, um, for, for some families, I think, to be able to put, you know, the child first in realizing how damaging it actually is to be, uh, you know, put upon like you have to prove yourself. Um, you ha you should walk a particular way if you're really like this, or you should, you know, those kinds of things. And then misgendering, saying, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'm just, you know, I'm not that generation. It's just too hard for me." You know, it just really doesn't cut it in, in, in my playbook. That whole generational thing is another thing too, because I know I know people that are in their 80s and 90s that have nothing. Like I just saw something on TikTok where this grandfather was 90 years old, Italian man, and he wanted to change the picture in his uh, frame because it was the old picture of their grandson. So, you know, that generational thing doesn't really have a thing. Also, our generation, like people that are 40 and below, we don't have that excuse anymore. We can't say, oh, we didn't know the difference or we didn't grow up that way because you definitely did and you definitely know the difference now. Um, and sometimes, you know, people will use every excuse that they can to to have bad behavior. I always say, don't, I say correct bad behavior and don't accept bad behavior. That Whether that be is people um, talking bad to you or not giving you the, the proper respect or using right pronouns. Um, you can use all the excuses you want, but again, they're just excuses. Excuses uh, for you to just continue to do your bad behavior because I teach um, one of my things in school is I teach grade uh, from grade primary all the way up to grade 12. You know, we teach different levels and different things. But if I can tell a grade four that, you know, using pronouns is going to help people out and they can understand it, I'm pretty sure a 70 year old man can do it as well. Yeah. And I just want to echo what you just said before uh, and the fact that, you know, so many people use that generational excuse that, oh, well, you know, he's from X generation, but you've lived throughout generations preceding you or following you, sorry. So it's not like you've lived in a house locked with your curtains drawn and never talked to anyone else for 70 years. You've experienced people, you've experienced different people. So why are you suddenly using this as an excuse to not accept someone? because you've been around, you've lived through this. So you should also be on the same wavelength as everyone else. So it's a, it's, it's not a generational excuse. It's a deliberate, you know, not wanting to respect other individuals. Yes, it's a 100% cop out because, you know, it's the same thing with like, when you're talking, uh, I find in Nova Scotia, we have this thing called plight ignorance where we like to pretend we don't have homophobia, transphobia, racism, yeah. misogyny, um, and things like that. And that kind of echoes the same thing is that, you know, 
you use, you can't call people um, you know uh, certain names anymore. You can't treat women the way they used to be able to treat women. You can't do all those things. You never should have been able to, but you can't. And those generational things have changed. You know, uh, one of the things that I always say is that if you can call Marilyn Monroe Marilyn Monroe or Shania Twain Shania Twain or Puff Daddy Puff Daddy, you can call me by my name. Because guess what, Marilyn Monroe is Norma Jean. Sean Combs is actually Puff Diddy. So if you can call those people those, those names, then you can call me by my name. And if you don't want to respect me, then you don't have to be in my good graces. I love that. That is, yeah, that is brilliant. And, and, and it's so true. And so when you say, you know, listening being like one of your top tips and that when we think about language and how harmful it can be like, oh, my grandchild was once a girl, but now they want to be a boy saying that I want to be like, what are your, like, these are, this is what you've got to get right. Your top three things do not do keep your mouth closed. If you know, rather than do these things advice to not just grandparents, but aunts, uncles, neighbors, people in that family circle connection. That used to be as annoying, you know, I used to be a boy or, you know, well, Sydney you used to be a girl, you know, like, you know, like that, those used to be's are, you know, that's why we, when I'm teaching AMAB and AFAB, I say that AMAB and AFAB is one of those two big things, you know, I even get the kids to repeat it back to me when I'm teaching with them and stuff. Um, so I think my biggest thing is, other than listening, is making sure that you're not imparting your own thoughts onto somebody else. You know, Terrence are always like, well, I want to make sure and I need to do, and I hope that I can. And I say, now I need you to, I need you to stop and listen to that. What those three comments you just said to me, all those three comments started with I, that has, that again shows that you're not actually doing, you're doing it for yourself. Even though you want to help, you're doing it for yourself. So not, not making, making, uh, partial and judgments. Also using proper names, using proper pronouns, it shows there's data and educational that if you're using a kid's proper name and proper pronoun, then they're not going to have to worry about correcting people. They're not going to have to worry about all those things. So, so then they can actually start doing their schoolwork. They can actually start, uh, you know, uh, participating and doing things because now they worry about correcting people. They don't have to worry about telling people what things are doing on. They can actually just be a kid themselves. And I think the number one thing is stop using kids as educational based education go to adults go to people that are doing it people like me just because a person is a trans kid does not mean that they know everything they're trying to figure themselves out just picture yourself as a teenager you know you wanted to be this you wanted to be that you wanted to be this you'd like this person you don't like that person you hate your mother you like your mother you know all those kind of things and then add being a trans person or a non-binary person onto that where you're trying to figure those things out let them be themselves. Let kids be kids. I say that all the time. Let kids be kids. Allow them to be exposed to everything that, that you want them to be exposed to and allow them to have a genuine acceptance of who they are. But don't use them as education. Go to people that actually can help because they don't know themselves and they're trying to figure things out themselves. And having to validate your own existence, it's, it's over and over again, or even your own child's existence. It's exhausting and it's... Um... It's not productive at all. <laughs> yeah, I always say that I will never debate my existence. I will educate, but I will never debate my existence. You know, I have a lot of um, white cis male friends that are always like, well, what about this? And what about this? I say, okay, I'll give you two f free minutes. And then after that's $125 an hour, because that's what I charge. Um, also, 
do your own research, you know, you just because you have trans people in your life or just because you have people of color in your life or just because you have non-binary people in your life. It's one thing to ask them questions for friendship, but to ask them to be like do the whole lineage or the whole acronym and everything else like that. That's again, you're not doing you're not doing your work to be a good ally. What you're doing is making somebody else do the work for you. Google's free. You know, like we all have access to the internet, very easy access to the internet. Um, it takes five seconds and there's so many good resources out there to answer a lot of the really, really simple questions that people keep asking trans people and non-binary people. Um, and even just to take that first initiative shows that you're looking for education with intention. Um, and then if there's any questions that come out after that, then maybe sure consult with a friend, but to your point exactly, like. <laughs> our time is money and having to constantly re-justify and talk about our own lived experiences as trans people is exhausting um, and we should be compensated for it. I'm a huge believer that anyone talking about their experiences, whether it be in a professional or non-professional setting, should be compensated for their time because it is re-traumatizing to have to re-talk about things. Well, the thing of my education base, you know, that there's people that you know go to universities and and uh, and uh, colleges and things like that to get their degrees. I am um, a experience-based educator, so everything that I talk about is about my own experience or things that I've dealt with and things like that. And sometimes people look down on that because they don't have like the proper degrees or I don't have the proper university. But I know a lot of people that have university degrees and are great baristas. But beyond that, they're not really any, doing anything else with it. Um, lived experience is one of the biggest things. Um, I have a thing, we have this thing called imposter syndrome where people yeah. who have lived experience feel like you should have all of these documentation because it's not, but to tell you the truth, I, I, uh, I lecture about housing, uh, Mount St. Vincent, uh, you know, universities, corporations, things like that. So lived experience is definitely something that's going to help. And it's also going to make sure that you, uh, can, uh, meet somebody who is part of that life. You know, um, when you were making, when I'm talking to corporations or I'm talking to families, uh, where families like, well, how do I show that I'm more diverse? Think about the friends that you carry. You know, are all your friends white cis people? Are, you know, are, uh, you know, are all your friends straight people? Are all your, you know, everything that you have? Well, those are just my friends. That's great that they're just your friends, but by not having any diverse in your life, how are you going to know what it's like mm -hmm. to be in diversity? Yeah. That speaks to um, like my own parent, who, you know, I kind of try to wonder where do some of these things that come out of their mouth come from? And I think sometimes it's sitting in that back of the room and grumbling about, yeah, you know, there just seems to be so many non-binary and they, them pronouns these days. And yeah, you know, and they're not going to get the information from the the proper places they're just complaining about it themselves and in the same time thinking that they're actually answering their complaints you know it's like self-informative oh i was just going to say if you if you only have people of the same identity in your same circle you're gonna it's just going to be an echo chamber so you're going to be hearing in just yeah. that uh, you know that constant circle this is how i describe um non-binary and trans the identities how we are these days you know a lot of people think that Millennials got together and, you know, unleashed trans and non-binary people onto the world. No, we just named the names. So how I explain to children is when I grew up in the 80s, there was a cereal section. There was five cereals, you know, Frosted Flakes, Corn Flakes, those horrible, horrible puff cereals that we had to put a whole bunch of sugar on and you never, no one ever liked. Now, when you go to a grocery store, there is a whole aisle of cereals. That's kind of the way the world is. Back then, we only thought there was only male, female. That was it. 
Straight, bi, gay. That was it. Well, those people are always there. Just like those cereals, those cereal ingredients were always here. The only difference is, is now that we have the technology, we have the means, and we have the people that are actually coming out and living their lives. And that's how I kind of explain, explain it to children. And it kind of gets them to understand that, you know, they've always been here, you know, like two-spirit people and people for, that are of the third gender, uh, you know, have always been here. And they were leaders and they were community groups and they were, you know, shaman in their communities. The only thing is colonization came in and said, no, we have to assimilate. We have to be like everything else. And it wiped that out. So it's always been here. The only difference is, is now that we're out in the open and we're actually talking about it and we're not, and you can't really hide us anymore. So yeah. that's the difference why, um, why people think there's this insurgence of us, you know, um, like people think there's this insurgence of Black Lives Matter. But the thing is, is Black Lives Matter has always been here. It was called something else years ago, you know, but now it's just a different form of it um, and moving forward to make sure that liberation is good for all of the people. Yeah. And I think I think more people are becoming, I will use the term combative towards a lot of different identities because of the fact that we are getting data that is being that is starting to measure, you know, how many queer people are here, how many black people are here, how many indigenous people are here, how what is their satisfaction in life? And you can't well, like you can't fight data. The funniest thing to me is all the all the people are like, oh my God, gay people and queer people, it's their whole identity. And then literally they'll be like, oh, I have a four truck and everybody who has a four truck is just like me. And I, and I, you know, and I go to Trump rallies and, you know, and I'm going to wear a Trump red hat and everything else like that. And I'm like, you're telling me it's my identity, but yet you're literally wearing yours. You know, I, I don't have to wear, although I do wear a, a, this, I wear my bag, my bag, I have a horrible tan line from it. And it has my trans pin and my non-binary, my, um, not my non-binary, trans pin. It has my pansexual pin on seated, on surrender territory, it has a few other pins. And I call it my Karen blocker because basically when I'm wearing it, I have those people that look at me and go, oh, oh no, not talk to that one because she's going to tell me off. And you kind of have to have that be be that person. And sometimes, you know, I get negative comments about it and stuff like that. But it just it just allows me to know who I can associate with in public. Yeah. Force field, right? You just drop the bridge. There's no point. If you're not ready, I'm gonna drop the bridge. When you're ready, I will share. Edu you know, I will educate from an educational point of view. But I'm don't waste my time with having again to argue with me about why we, you know, it's not pie. No. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes you drop the bridge and you drop it right on them because sometimes they don't, they're too busy look, not looking forward that they're looking backwards that you drop it right on them and they miss it completely. Yeah. And from a grandparent point of view, you know, it doesn't take a lot just to love your kid, respect who they are. And, you know, you have the opportunity to enjoy and share in this whole enriching experience because I just think, you know, I like, Trans kids are amazing and they can teach you so much about the world and resiliency that really, you know, for grandparents who just can't get their head out of the sand, there really is such a disservice to themselves. It's them that's going to lose out. And so hopefully well, my, my great oldest grandkid had, had a trans kid um, in school and she's like, oh, my friend, I can't remember the name. And their mother said, oh, what's he? Oh, no, it's their mom. And that was it. It wasn't like you know, they had to have this dissertation. It was like, no, no pronouns they. And it's easy as that, you know? Uh, 
people overcomplicate things because they wanted to make it look like it's more complicated than it is because if they make it look more complicated than it is then they don't have to accept it because it's too complicated to understand so overcomplicating things is just a way of people shutting it away you know when it comes down to it i am their grandparent i'm amy i'm Amy. i am the emergency contact for for some of them you know when we're in public um i'm also the favorite grandparent because i know how to do everything you know, but I'm also the strictest grandparent too. So, you know, I you know that Cape Breton mother look, I give that look and everything stops in its place, you know? Um, so it's things like that. I'm still the same typical grandparent that I would have, you know, it's just that I have a different past than some other people. Yeah. And kids these days, they, they get it so fast too. Like there's no questions. They're like, cool, awesome. You're this way. Cool. But you know, decades, even decades ago, even when I was a kid, which wasn't that long ago. Um, oh my goodness, everyone would be up in arms, like over like, oh no, that's, that's, you can't do that. But nowadays they're getting it. And it just makes things so much easier for everyone because you don't have to self, well, you don't have to explain. The biggest, the biggest now is the drag queen story time. You know, people being called pedophiles and things like that. They had one in Cape Breton a few weeks ago and they had to have security just in case because yes. people were threatening to come up and protest and things like that. And I'm like, you are making a spectacle of yourself. Like they showed up with toys to coax kids away from the 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 speakers and things like that and i'm like that on itself sounds a little creepy to me um but also just because you don't understand something doesn't mean it doesn't need to all a kid is seeing is some pretty person with a lot of makeup on looking like a unicorn reading the books that's all they see my grandkid sits there and watch me do, 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 does my drag makeup she knows exactly who i am i'm just playing a character that's on tv just like her favorite actors and friends that's all it is when you start to make assumptions and do that correlation between pedophilia and gay people that's something that you're doing yourself and that's something that you automatically have something on in your head that you that's what this association that you do again don't take your own profanities and put it on somebody else because you don't know how to um bring it past that it breaks my heart that they were even like within that vicinity yeah. uh, and and that's how chris and i that's how we first met was uh drag queen story time and you were uh mm -hmm. hosted our story time for peace like halifax and it was so amazing and luckily we just uh through uh, Pride Lunenburg County, we just had a uh, drag queen story time. Uh, this is being recorded in August. So their Pride, uh, it was yesterday on the 17th of August, and they had 140 people show up at the, they call it the LCLC library, the Margaret Hanniger library in Bridgewater. Tiny little library, 140 people came out. And thankfully, I didn't- With my uh, friend Zara, was it with Zara? Who, who, who yeah, did the, who was the- Zara Matrix mm -hmm, was the queen for that one. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully for every bad one, you know, people rally and just, you know, stand together. And we have like 10 more great ones that happen, you know, because kids love it and uh, parents love it. You know, it's it's a wonderful time for people to come together and, and hear these stories. So. I mean, what is the difference between Lunette the Clown or Mr. Dress Up or any of those other people reading books to kids than somebody who's, you know, like, I know drag queens, you know, there's there's drag queens in a club, okay, 19 plus doing events like that. And then there's drag queens reading the story, you know, a, a drag queen's not going to show up in a full harness, you know, with their whole extremities out to read, you know, I, I don't know, 50 Shades of Grey to kids. 
No, they're going to show up in a nice frilly dress with nice pretty makeup. One, because it's daytime, so they probably have a lot of glitter on their face just to hide all that. And they're just reading books to kids so they can be, exp exp uh, you know, experienced and exposed to it. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's not telling kids this is how you have to be. It's saying, hey, if you're feeling this way, guess what? There's other people that are out there just like you. That's what I do. Everything that I do is for that 11-year-old boy named Christopher William Cochran in Glace Bay that didn't have the chance to be himself or have anything to look to. So for those kids that might have friends or might be feeling it themselves, we're going, hey, you're not, you're not weird. You're not strange. You're yourself, and you can be yourself and have no problem being it. That's what it means. Yeah, and seeing people being visibly themselves, their authentic, true selves helps save lives. And it also creates mentorship opportunities. If people don't see themselves living their authentic lives in their societies and their communities, then they don't see themselves doing that as well when they grow up. So we need to start creating role models in the community and giving kids the opportunity to see themselves in the future in whatever capacity that is. Well, when I was in Truro in 2019, I was wearing my trans dress and we were in the parade. And then I hear this little voice yell out, I'm trans too. Um, and afterwards, I talked to her parents. And she, didn't say, she that was the first time a little black girl um, uh, said it out loud outside of her family because she saw somebody who represented who she could be in the future. I still talk to her. She got highlights. She's in, she's in cheerleading. She does all those things. But you know, I'm not saying because she saw me, she's now being able to sit but I think it validated her yeah. to know it. I always say we talk about trans identities for two things, when they're dying or when they're winning awards. I'm trans mental man management. That's what I call myself, trans mental management, because I'm here to show you that you can live your life, be yourself, and you don't have to be the extremes of either of those just to be yourself, you know? You can be a homemaker if you want to. You can be a firefighter. I remember I was doing uh, a talk for foster families and this woman, she brought her daughter to us to uh, to like one of those things where, you know, you can be a future firefighter, be a future whatever. And she saw a fire chief that was a girl and she goes, wait a minute, firefighters can be girls? Um, and her mother was like, I felt so bad, but I also understood at that moment yeah, you can be because representation does matter and it does help the kids. Unfortunately, there is still negative representation out there as well. So uh, with social media, it's kind of a double-edged sword. It's, it's, it's helping so much, but it can also hinder so much as well. Well, thank you. I think that's why this conversation is so important because as well, when we're talking about young grand kids, you know, who have transitioned in a supportive environment, who have no idea that, you know, there could be a struggle out there or that there are people that, you know, harass and, 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 and harm, you know, you want to protect that. And that harm should not be coming, it shouldn't be coming from anywhere, but it definitely should not be coming from within your own family um, as a grandparent. So you're building so many bridges and connections, Chris, and we really appreciate you talking to us today. For sure, I just feel that um, you know when I was when I started my transition, I was again worried about you know what my what, what I would do, but quickly I realized because of the person I am in the community that I have to use my platform. There's so many people that have platforms and they use it for so many bad things, or they don't use it at all. You know, it's one thing to have a platform; it's another thing to take that platform. I always say. Um, platforms start to uh, use every platform you have to uplift people 
um, that, that come after you, you know? You are standing on the shoulders of people that came before you, and now you are the shoulders for the future. And if you use those, then the whole pyramid tumbles and we go right back to where we were before. I love that. Yeah, no, it's so true. And it, it goes back to the point, you know, like visibility saves lives and, you know, being your authentic self and having that true sense of security in yourself and being able to showcase that in the world allows younger people uh, or even people the same age or older than you the opportunity to also do the same. And sometimes showing insecurities, you know, I'm a neurodivergent autistic trans woman, you know, I don't talk a lot because, you know, I, you know, being black and then I'm trans. And then I'm plus size. And now I have, you know, talking about when I was a kid in the 90s, we, it wasn't called autism. It was called uh, behavioral issues. Or we were told that, you know, I had um, social anxiety disorder. And then they put you on this medication, that medication, this medication, and that medication. Um, and then when I got older and going through therapy and stuff like that, I start to realize of who I was and things like that. But sometimes showing those vulnerabilities allows kids to go, oh, they're an adult and they're also trans, but they also have those same kind of things that I have. Okay, great. I can succeed. I can be myself. I can see a door through where, uh, for where I'm going. You know, you don't have to be perfect all the time. And I think sometimes adults want to have this persona, especially when they're talking to kids that they're everything's put together and everything's great and everything else like that. And it's putting this unrealistic demand on kids that go, and when you get older, you have to be perfect. You're great. You have to be great. You have to look this, you have to talk to this person. You know what? If I had my way, I would do drag in my living room. I would not have to go into the world if I didn't need to, but I do as of right now, I kind of have to, you know, doing what I do. Sometimes invulnerability shows people that you're human and that's what we are. We're all human. Yeah. And nobody's perfect. So and trying to put up the facade no. that you are perfect is you're lying to yourself first first form so well i always say chris isn't perfect but el noir is <laughs> or at least she thinks she is there you go there you go <laughs> oh. well thank you so much I'm, I'm conscious of taking up your time and that is there anything else that you would like to add or yeah, if you want to shout out anything, social media platforms, any initiatives, any cool initiatives you're currently working on, this is uh, your full yes. reign. Um, so definitely I would like uh, people to check out the youth project, NSU's project. Um, we have one in uh, Cape Breton and we also have the main one here in Halifax. I am the support service educator at the youth project. So I do one-on-one -on -one sessions with youth as well with uh, parents for 2S LGBTQIA youth. We help with transition, uh, we help with uh, garments, um, and also I teach uh, 2S LGBTQIA 101, and I also teach gender versus sexuality and creating affirming spaces for corporate companies, for school boards, and for anything like that. So if you want to reach out to us, you can reach me at chris at youthproject.ns.ca or just check our uh, website or our Instagram out. Um, I also want to say uh, for people that are looking for um, literature in Halifax, please check out Venus Envy. They have a lot of great things that can help. Um, and if you have a child that is trans and also is into uh, comics and things like that, please go check my friend who owns a num uh, who's a trans person who owns in our own bookstore and comic bookstore in Sackville. They have everything and it's all trans inclusive as well. Love Cape and Cowell comics and collectibles. Yes. Um, Cape and Cowell, yes, definitely. We can put some links in our show notes. Great. Well, thank you so yes, much. Yes, thank you so much, Chris. We appreciate it immensely. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. Um, you know, sometimes just having conversations is definitely going to help, you know? Absolutely, yeah.
That's all the time we have today, folks. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Hey Sis. The conversation doesn't have to stop here, though. If you would like to get in touch with us to ask us a question or share your story on a future episode, you can email us at connect at simplygoodform.com or visit us on our website at www.hasis.com.